0: We've had players from every state in New England. There's not thousands of guys banging down the door, but there's definitely people who see this as a good fit and are willing to be a part of this program and and excited about that. That was founder and CEO of BlackRock FC, John Moody.
1: And he's the guest on today's episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Welcome into another episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Today, I'll be joined by founder and CEO of BlackRock FC and the director of BlackRock FC Residential Academy at the Northwood School, John Moody. John, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Matt. It's good to be here. Absolutely. It's good to have you on. I know there's a lot going on down in your neck of the woods in in terms of soccer and beyond just what you guys are doing. So how's how's spring going right now? It's been busy. I know you guys are involved in the USL League 2 season and you're gearing up for the fall. So how's everything going right now?
0: Yeah, it's good. We are in the the thick of the USL 2 season. I'm actually at Colby Sawyer College where we have our residential program for our BlackRock USL 2 team. So I am coaching that squad and living on campus with the players. We just wrapped up our, I guess, prep school season with the residential academies with recent graduation. So those those players are back home for the summer. Some of them have been promoted into our League Two team, but we're, yeah, we're in full USL2 mode right now. USL2 season started, what, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Yeah,
1: yep. just about. How How's the squad been playing so far? Just in general just kind of your your perception of what the league is like and and your conference and and what c- competing at that level is like
0: yeah it's it's always it's it's fun to have a, a good vantage point of going from coaching under 17s and 19s in our academy right into the usl2 so seeing the transition in the game the quality of the opponents i think the usl league two has grown tremendously and right now we've got a great group we have 30 players living in residence and they've really come together as, as a group. It's a wonderful group of guys. And every match is tight. We've had a one goal result in every game. We've got one win, one loss, and two ties. We just came off a 0-0 with Western Mass on the road. So there's not much margin for error, but it's fun. And we have Vermont Green today at 4 o'clock. Nice. Now, in terms of roster building,
1: how do you go about building that roster? Right? I mean, I know typically it's 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 great college players from across the country. I mean, I know that some teams are, are, it's it's not just necessarily pulling kids from New England. There's kids from like Creighton, there's kids from all different parts next to the yeah. woods that, that are playing. How did
0: you go about building your USL League 2 roster? Yeah, we, we, one of the reasons we started our USL 2 team or agreed to participate in this league was we wanted that upper level experience for our, our prep and now our residential academy players. We wanted a pathway. A lot of them dream yeah. of being pros. And so, a lot of our roster spots, we do use for uh, players who come kind of from within our, our, our ecosystem, I guess you'd say, but we've, we've also branched out with coaching contacts that I have, just positional needs to bring in players from other colleges and, and programs. But we always have some of our guys, some of our recent grads, and we even have three of our returning players to the BlackRock residential, three of our youngest players on the squad this summer, and two of them in the lineup today. So. It's a chance for our young players to really, who are standing out, I guess you could say at the, at their age appropriate levels at the under 19s to to challenge themselves against some established division one players. So we tend to be a bit of a younger roster. We'll bring in some older players for guidance and wisdom, I suppose, but we also want our younger ones to kind of cut their teeth in, in the competition. So it prepares them for what they're trying to get to, which is sort of a, a top collegiate experience.
1: Now, you guys are based out in New York, but there's obviously a New England influence, and you are you you coached at Berkshire for a, a long time and had a lot of success there, so you're very familiar, obviously, with the New England soccer circles and a name that a lot of people know in the New England soccer circles. What have you guys been trying to do with Northwood and BlackRock FC? What's kind of the—take us inside what those soccer products are and what, what you've tried to kind of build with with those assets.
0: Yeah, so I was in the prep school game for many years and enjoyed the that I think the New England prep school league is a great league. And I really enjoyed my time in there, but I also saw an opportunity for, for combining sort of a year round program with the great prep school education. I thought something that was absent in the current soccer landscape, really, really in the U S you have a few, you got the Shaddix and Mount Verde and Darlington's, a few programs doing that in sort of isolated regions, but within New England, there really wasn't much. It when we visualize this going back six, seven years ago. And so, yeah, I thought it was really just the objective of continuing to provide players with great prep school pathways, which also enabled a really diverse student population to come together uh, because of boarding, the, the residential aspect of boarding schools and then giving them that great education. But at the same time, giving them more than a standard prep school season would have two and a half months of soccer. And a lot of the prep schools at the time we were. That's where BlackRock actually originated, was sort of an off-season development opportunity, showcase opportunity for prep school kids. And that spawned into our prep academy, which at one time had 40, 40 different schools participating. COVID kind of squashed that. And then our our shift moved more into the residential side because development was really, was, is remains sort of the forefront of what we're trying to do is develop players in a different way. And the prep academy has its place and it certainly served those players well, but we, we were only training players twice a week and they weren't really getting to know each other as well off the field. And so the residential was the idea that we could work with players for effectively 10 months and then even deeper with the USL too and and develop, develop them on and off the field and kind of meet their, their, their broader needs as a student athlete in the truest sense. And so. That's that's the space we're exploring and I'm really enjoying it. We've we've just completed our fifth year and I'm excited about how things are going.
1: Yeah, I mean it was it's it's an ambitious thing you're attempting. Obviously like you said you just completed your fifth year and things are going well. Had, was was it hard to get everything off the ground and get into this new space and kind of make the transition from Berkshire and, and the Nepsack to this kind of new new space and especially like you said there's not a lot of options like this in the Northeast.
0: Yeah, there there are more and more I think programs popping up now that are, are, are doing a little bit more of a year round model, which is in, in my, in my book for soccer development, as well as pairing it with prep school, a good thing. Not to, not to diminish the what a, you know, the great traditional prep school model that encourages three sports. I was a three sport athlete and really enjoyed that during my time in prep school, but at the same time for, for the type of players we're recruiting and just what I think in the global market, that there's a demand and an unmet need for year round soccer. And so you know, a lot of the prep schools were p- kind of partnering or loosely partnering or outsourcing their players' developments to different clubs, which involved a lot of travel it's still st- some are still doing that a lot of travel, maybe schedules that don't line or uh, with regard to the academic demands of a school. So what we tried to do is create something where the school and the, and the club were on one page. In terms of planning, administrative oversight and understanding so that it actually allowed the student athletes to have a less stressful process. Instead of getting pulled in different directions from club and school and home, they can kind of bundle it into one. And, and, and so far, yeah, it's it's going well. I think the we're seeing that it, it's working well. Our players have gone on to some top colleges and our first generation of players are now either seniors or rolling into grad programs, nipping at- Professional opportunities, so we're happy with where where it stands now. Yeah, that's a good point. Now that you're you're five years in, you're starting
1: to see kind of the the results of of the work because these these kids have gone through the program. When when you came up with this concept and and decided to go into this this venture, were there were there people that you sought advice from, or did you kind of have a plan in your mind about how you wanted to operate this and and how you wanted to develop this program?
0: Yeah, I didn't. I really didn't have a clear plan to be honest. When I left Virture, I had a <laughs> I had a, a different idea around, Mm -hmm. recruitment and helping kids understand the college process more and the players at the time that I was basically stepping away from at Berkshire, as well as some of the other prep schools said, what's going to happen with BlackRock? And I didn't have a good answer, but I could see that it mattered to them and decided to try to make it work. I had never in the first, when we were running it unofficially, Sunday soccer, basically, there was. There was no living in it. It was just something I did for fun to help them. And, but stepping away from my full-time job, I said, I have to figure out how to make this work so that it can be sustainable and grow and and so on and so forth. So yeah, when I stepped out there, it was definitely a nervous space to be in. So I did consult with a lot of people from a lot of different areas, but also trusted my own instincts a little bit trusted my, I guess, my heart, my passion. It's been a lifelong passion for teaching and coaching. So I kind of just figured if it, if it, if it continued to move towards the areas of broader education, the true development of a student athlete on and off the field, that it it would probably work out all right, because uh, that's what I know. I was a teacher for many years and administrator in schools and always a coach. And so I figured if I stayed close to what I knew and and what I cared about, it it should probably work.
1: How does New England factor in? I know you guys have players from New England and have had players from New England in the program. And and like we said, you have some New England roots here. So how how is New England factored in? And we know you guys are based in New York, but have you have you
0: been able to land players from this region? Yeah, we have players from all of, we've had players from every state in New England. There's not thousands of guys banging down the door, but there's definitely people who see this as a good fit hmm. and are willing to, to to be a part of this program and, and excited about that. I think a lot of club where I see a lot is a lot of families as well as players feeling that in their particular region, whether it be in New England or out that they're having to travel crazy hours for four nights a week or whatever to training. Yes, I'm driving two hours each way to get quality training and then do their homework in the car and, and kind of juggle a lot. It puts a lot of stress and it, it makes it harder for the student athlete to perform on and off the field as well. And I think for a lot of the parents too, they get run down with that much travel and so think what we're finding is there's a lot of players who, who, and parents who like the idea that they can have it all in one. Parents can come to the game and enjoy that aspect, but at the same time, they're not shuttling their kid four hours a week. I mean, four hours a day, four days a week or whatever it is. And so in that sense, yes, there have been players from New England who have found this to be the right fit for what they're looking for, as well as we have players from over 15 U.S. states and 25 countries. Wow. At Northwood, it's an incredibly diverse environment. What would you say... uh, all players within the program kind of are there
1: common characteristics that the players kind of have in common with each other and maybe things that you look for or or the type of the players and people that you're trying to attract and bring into the program
0: yeah absolutely where our first year we brought in 40 guys and had no cultural identity Mm. i had beliefs our other coaches kind of had beliefs the school had sort of ideas but creating a culture. Yeah. Like yeah. To get all that stuff to gel, all those different, all those different things from different yeah, the people. the first year yeah. was not, it it was a little messy. And I think that the players did really well. The school, I think everybody did, but we understood what we were getting yeah. into, which was something new. Uh, so to that end, I, I think, yeah, absolutely. As a recruiter, I've always tried to recruit character first. I want good kids who are willing to work hard, play for the team, to be humble. And to give their best each day towards their development. So we, that's what I did at Berkshire. It's always how I've recruited. And I think largely I've, I've been really fortunate to work with a lot of great young men in my coaching career who have exhibited those qualities. And I think those are the qualities you need to, to ultimately be successful. And we just try to reinforce them by bringing good kids together and coaches who also, you know, uh, align with that type of thinking. Good things happen when a lot of people are working together, sharing ideas, pushing each other, encouraging each other. So those are the type of guys we want to bring into our program. Is the culture, is
1: it still evolving or five years in, do you feel like the the culture you have right now is kind of the sweet spot where you want it to be? Or are you, are you guys still trying to figure I mean, different con- conceptual
0: things? <laughs> We're always trying to figure it out. Yeah. Hey, even at the best of days at Berkshire and the best of days we've had here, I feel like we're continually learning. We have to be, otherwise complacency sets in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've been doing, we we read books as a team and, and we discuss different concepts. It's one of my favorite parts of the residential academy is we have a chance to extend the conversation beyond the field, to have meals together. That's why we put all of our USL2 guys in residency together and they're loving it. I mean, whether they're playing foosball or or playing, uh, playing chess uh, away from the field they're just, they're having a good summer together. They're getting to know each other. They're building a bond. We're sharing, we're building and and sharing a common dialogue. And one of the, one of the things we've been focusing on, even one of the players, I didn't even know this, but he had it tattooed on his neck is the the notion of Kaizen, which is a a continuous improvement. Looking in, in, not just from top down, but really from every layer of a, an organization working together to be better in, in daily, daily work the little 1% we can do and understanding how what we do off the field impacts what we do on the field and all of those little things matter. And so the guys are embracing that, but if if we live by that, then there's always more to do. There's mm-hmm. always more to consider. There's always more dialogue or adjustments to how we approach games. So we're looking at const- con- continually refining what we do. And that's a fun process. It keeps you on your toes, keeps you mentally engaged. So I'd say, yeah, we're, we don't have it. We'll probably never have it perfectly. Right. right? But I like the space we're in now because we're all kind of embracing that notion of being a team, working together daily and and continually striving to be at our best and to, to play for each other. And so it's, it's a fun experience is it tough to build a team chemistry I mean when you're a new program
1: a relatively new program and there's not this foundation of like being, oh we've been around for a century and this is the core values of this then what you're getting like is it tough to get all the players on the same page and the kids on the same page attitude wise because because you are still a relatively new you know program in the soccer world
0: yeah i think i think it is but i think more and more people are understanding what we're about the players who have played for us i think are doing a really good job of going out into Many of them, the players I've coached at Berkshire now, some are playing pro, but others are, the vast majority of them are professionals in other fields. They've taken on careers. And I think they're continuing to exhibit a lot of those qualities. And, and I think people are beginning to understand kind of what our club is about. And so I think some players are attracted to that. Mm. That's what they want in an experience. So I I think there, there is some understanding, but yeah, we're not a hundred years old and we don't have, we don't have it all figured out, but I think the, largely speaking, the the players who've kind of come through a system are are sp- are good messengers, good ambassadors, and and th- that's how it's I, I guess growing, and, and I think that's how we're kind of slowly be- beginning to solidify a, a cultural identity. What will the the fall season look like in
1: terms of like scheduling? I know you guys typically play at the the showcase in Albany, right? I know I know you guys have been there b- b- the, before, yeah, in previous years. So what what's your typical schedule look like, and how do you Try to design that, and and the fall season as a whole.
0: Yeah, that's been an interesting challenge at Northwood because we definitely want to represent the school and embrace the notion of the school participation, and we do. So we actually have two uniform kits. Although we have four residential academies, and they all represent their school in fall competition, it, and uh, that's an important part for us. So we do look to play and intertwine ourselves into prep competition in the fall. We've also dabbled with like the USL Academy League. We tried some league play, but mainly it's, it's prep stuff in the fall and that's largely centered around showcase events. So yeah, whether it's the next level event in Albany or uh, the mainline friendlies, hmm. these larger events that attract a lot of schools, we're, we're definitely participants in those and enjoy having the crossover competition with prep schools. And then November, we're really kind of flipping the uniforms. I mean, just moving onward into the club season and really engaging deeply in those kind of tournaments and showcase events. That, I mean, that all makes me think you must be
1: a pretty busy guy year round. I mean, it's just, it's, it's nonstop. And I know you have a family as well. So what's like, what's, what's the schedule like for you just navigating through everything and just keeping everything in order
0: here? It's, an, it's, it's pretty insane. My wife would be the first to tell you. <laughs> she, she's in the trenches with me a lot, washing kits and pumping balls and doing things. And yeah, I, I'm lucky to have her support. And my, my two children, but luckily they all love the game and being around it. And so it is, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not for everyone because I'm literally coaching from August 25th till July. Well, the end of the USL two season. So it's kind of all in and in the residential setting, it's, it's really six days a week with a lot of travel, but I feel lucky too though, because I have a chance to work with players that intensively and hopefully try to make a positive impact in their life. But uh, whether it's in the USL2 camp that we have here at Colby Sawyer or it's up at Northwood School, like we have the opportunity to see them away from the field. Like we just had breakfast together as a team. We had a team meeting. It's very easy to kind of pull together the little pieces that I think make a program and organization strong. So that is why I believe in doing that. It does involve some sacrifice. Some time away from family at moments or support of family coming. My daughter is running the lines at games as ball girl and chasing balls and helping out. And so it's a family affair. And it's not just my family. It's others like Tony Muhammad, who is my college teammate, who has been working with me since day one. The sacrifices he makes and his family and all of the people who are tied into our organization. But we're, we're all in it, I think. Like I said, when we recruit players and coaches, we're looking for people who really kind of buy in culturally to what we do. And it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun work. And I feel fortunate to, to have that much time working with, the, with these student athletes. Hmm. Now, did you grow up in New England? I did. I was born, born in rural Kentucky and then moved to an A-frame home in New Hampshire with a, my dad was in a transition from Kentucky to New Hampshire. And then he got a job in Boston and I did suburban Boston. Wow. And then my dad, after a few years in Boston, I wanted to get back up to the woods of New Hampshire. So they live in in rural New Hampshire, not far from Colby Sawyer in Wilmont, New Hampshire. So in my teenage years, we moved up there and that's when I went away to boarding school. I went to Holderness School yep. in New Hampshire and I wasn't too far from home. But my parents still live nearby and they were they, had, they were one of the, the few spectators at our first home game at Colby Sawyer. They had front row seats, box seats, <laughs> just living 10 minutes away from the field. So it's that's been ex- extra nice for me to be here this summer. My mom's actually a graduate of Colby Sawyer College. Nice. And so that's, that's really nice for her to have that. <laughs> now, you, you mentioned, I mean, you played multiple sports growing up, right? What was,
1: uh, yes. what was your kind of athletic upbringing? And when did you start to really gravitate to soccer?
0: I gravitated to soccer from the first time I got a chance to play, yeah. which was when I moved into the Boston area around, I think I was eight years old. I just started playing down in and, and early inceptions of club, I guess back then in the, in the early eighties mm-hmm. to date myself there, but <laughs> loved soccer, basketball, baseball, tennis. I played ice hockey for a year. I played every sport I could. I just loved to compete and and, and, and play sport. But the one that always resonated most with me was soccer. And I think it was, there's, there was no stoppage. There were no timeouts. It was a flowing game. Right. It involved a lot of running, which I liked. There's a a physical element as a a creative envelopment or element. sorry. Yeah. But no, I've, I've always, soccer's always been the, the thing I liked most. And whenever people ask me about the black residential, I said, I tried to create something that I would have loved to have done when I was that age. Right. If I had had that chance, I would have, I would have been in it so quickly. And I know I would have loved, loved every moment of it. So really, I'm just trying to create something that I felt I didn't have the chance to do in my own life so that others who, who have that passion can have it as well. Right. That's so true. It's, it's amazing how much things have
1: shifted and how many opportunities there are now for, for soccer players. That even, even me, I grew up playing in the 90s, really, and graduated high school in 2000. And Just that everything's changed so much, night and day. The, the club game and just the opportunities out there for everyone is, is crazy. In terms of the the USL League Two season, we'll circle back to that. You guys are like we said, we're in the thick of that. How do you see the the conference playing out? And I know Vermont was the kind of the new kid in town last year, and they made a pretty good impression right off the bat. So, and Western yeah. Mass is always solid.
0: How, how's the conference going to play out? Do you think? Yeah, it's a great conference. A lot of good teams in there. I think it's it's going to be tight, tight throughout. And we we've seen some of the teams like Vermont Green are. We played them twice last year. We went into their, their field and for their, I think we were the inaugural game there. And that was quite an experience to be in at Virtue Field. They had a full house and our players weren't used to that. Yeah, We ended up losing that one four to one, but then they came to our, our quiet field and we, we got them one, nothing on the return leg. So I don't think they've forgotten that. And they've just come off a, I would say a, a, a tough one. They lost one, three to Seacoast who I guess. Right now is seeming to be at the top of the mm. competition. But then again, they tied Western Mass 1-1 and then we just tied Western Mass 0-0. So it's hard to say, but we're just trying to focus on our process and get ourselves a little bit better for each game. And we know we're going to be up against it with Vermont Green today. They got a lot of talent. They're a fun team to watch. They're well-coached. I think organizationally what they're doing for soccer here in America is really exciting. Having sort of, you talk about cultural identity. Their whole thing about the green in, in conservation, and just linking in with the state's it, it, state's kind of vibe—I mm-hmm. think it's really cool what they're doing. So hats off to them! But we we hope we can get them today on our home turf. Yeah, that's a whole vibe they've created up in
1: Vermont. It's like it goes perfectly aligned with the state. It's a it's a perfect fit. Yeah.
0: That's good. We'll good be we'll... For, good for good for U.S. soccer though. To see yeah. smaller markets embracing the game and, and really getting around it in in a very holistic way. So. That's certainly something we aspire to, to as we was, as we kind of build our identity. But I'd love to see more and more professional clubs doing what they do, which is kind of linking their their club brand into um, something broader right. that, that, thinks, that that kind of uh, reflects beyond the field into deeper values. So it's it's really cool what they're doing. Absolutely.
1: Well, John, it's now time for our Extra Time segment with our producer, David Yaz, where he's going to give us three mystery questions about the game of soccer, and we're we're going to fire off the answers as best we can and see what we can do. So (laughs) it's always fun. We'll see how it goes. David. It's the end of regulation, so let's move to Extra Time.
2: yes sir our contestants here are unprepared these questions have been hermetically sealed in a mayonnaise jar i'm just taking them out now (laughs) question question number one and we will start with our guest john in the years that you played soccer what uniform number did you wear and was it meaningful to you
0: yes i i wore nine and that was good when i played a nine in an attacking role in my early years. But when I went to college and demanded the nine and played right back, that was a little strange. I think I might've been the only nine playing right back, but the number was so dear to me that I fought, fought to keep it in college. And luckily I had nice teammates who tolerated the right back wearing number nine. Excellent, excellent answer. Matt, how about
1: you? My answer is not, not as fun. I, I've never been a, a number guy that much. I wore 16 in high school. I wore five in everything growing up until I got to high school. And then I just think well, the the order of, of upperclassmen to underclassmen made me just kind of take what I got when I got to high school. So I got 16 and I just stuck with it and it was fine. I, I worked it into my, remember uh, AOL Instant Messenger? Yes. I worked I worked that number 16 <laughs> into my screen name. It became a whole a whole thing. So that was I did my best with 16, but I was never, I was never a huge numbers guy. I, I know I, whatever you gave me, you gave me. I wasn't superstitious like that.
2: Matt, as my last name is Yaz-Y-A-S, which kind of resembles Red Sox. Great. A little bit, me. yeah. Everyone in my family has always worn number eight for every sport. <laughs> Even in soccer, my kids would wear it. See, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah.
1: that, that's sensible. Yeah. yeah.
2: All right. Matt, we'll start with you on this one. What do you tell sports fans who say they can't get into soccer because of the perceived low scoring or what they perceive as slow-moving action?
1: Oh man, it's anything but slow-moving. If they're saying that, I mean, John, John can attest to that. I mean, it's not, it's not a slow-moving sport. And and like we said, the the TV product is actually phenomenal with no ads, no commercials, no non-stop play. I know people have their gripes about extra time because they don't know why are they put in six more minutes on the mm-hmm. clock. What, what's that all about? But like. Those are just the intricacies that I think people have issues with. But yes, the low scoring. Yes, maybe there's things that can be done to the game that to improve the scoring. I don't know if purists would really want that to happen. I mean, I don't know if we're going to make any major adjustments to offsides and stuff like that. But there are things that soccer could do to to up the scoring a little bit. And I remember my dad had a great idea. I thought it was a great idea when we were younger that you could, you could in a tie game, you could, you could start an overtime period and start removing players from the field. So it starts at mm-hmm. 11 on 11. That is 10v10. 10 10, that is 9v9. 9 9. Every couple of minutes you... And then you get to a point where you're in this massive field and you got 6v6 6 6 with goalies. I mean, it's just wide open. Someone's going to score. So I do think there are things you can adjust. Baseball's done it w- with different rules, but I think people just really just need to give the sport a chance. I mean, people are saying that probably aren't actually watching or investing right. themselves in it. Right. How about
2: you, John? What would you say to
1: convert the non-believers?
0: Yeah, I'd say... Uh- it, it is adjusting if you're used to watching like NBA or you're used to watching whatever sport you like. There's a different flow to each game. And I, like I said, I played a lot of sports. So tennis, there's there's action every second of the court. It's right in your face. Baseball can at times be very slow. And those games, I know they've done the, they speeded up the, the pitch counter or the, the timing on the pitches. But yeah, it's just getting your brain around. I think soccer for me can be like we had a Western Mass the other night. It's a real chess match. And uh, you can, you can appreciate sort of different tactical strategies and different approaches to the game. that can, can be exciting to see how they're executed and how they play. But ultimately, yeah, maybe get out and play a little bit, get in the game, go play, play some soccer, pick up soccer, join a, a local rec league. If you're, if you don't know the game that well and just play and you'll find the joy in the game and then when you go watch it a little bit more, you'll appreciate what you're seeing. So that's also a good way to do it. I mean, I think anyone who's played the game doesn't get bored watching necessarily at 0-0 zero zero unless they're really just playing a very boring game. I mean, you can have exciting games. I thought our game of the night was very exciting, yeah. even though uh, it ended 0-0, zero zero, but it was a fun game. So yeah, it's they get out there, try it, keep an open mind. But I've I've had to, like I said, through the, the lots of sports I played in my life, whether it was the, the, the timeouts in basketball and, and the, the final seconds of a basketball game, for some people are maddening, like right. how many timeouts and things go on in, in the last 10 seconds of a game and or, or, or what have you, a baseball game that goes on for five hours. And each game's different and find what works for you, I guess. That's, that's a great point, John, because I,
1: I, I'm a people, everyone who knows me knows I'm, I'm also a huge basketball fan. And one of the things you hear from people who want to be negative about basketball and negative about the NBA is you'll see a basketball game that's like 128 to 122 and they're like nobody plays defense anymore and it's like do you want the offense do you want like this sport you want more offense this sport you want more defense like the the shot making go. I mean there's just a certain element of like people are going to be negative (laughs) regardless of, of of what the sport is yeah all right
2: yeah, Matt, by the way, if you, I'm kind of charged up now. Can we bring a, a soccer ball in and kick it around the parking lot of Siemens Media here? Yeah, say, you're I, fired I, up. I, I, I am, I don't want to get out there. <laughs> Final question for extra time. We'll start with you, John. Simple question. What's the most exciting play in soccer?
0: It's a great pass to win a game. I think a brilliant moment from a, a midfielder or a striker who just sees a pass that nobody else sees. He sees a moment, but that also ties into a creative run. Just that, that play that nobody saw coming that has that, that really special moment in quality where two players or three players connect in a combination that leads to an exciting goal. But yeah, something that starts with a great, a great moment of brilliance from a, a midfielder perhaps seeing that pass that nobody else saw mm. or the r- player making the run. And then of course the finish, the combination when, mm. when you see that, I suppose... That's my I'd best. It's a guess. good answer. It's a good answer. Yeah
1: I, yeah, I mean, I would say kind of piggybacking off of that, like the great long ball that hits a player perfect in stride into a perfect run where they just get past the final defender and that leads to a breakaway. But just, a, just, I mean, a goal in and of itself in soccer. And all, all goals are just electric in, in in any in any major soccer game or any, really any soccer game. But yeah, that great pass that leads to may, maybe even just an easy finish for a player. Just because I don't think people understand like the precision and skill it takes to put a ball with your feet like 40 50 yards right on someone else's foot like I mean it, it it's just ins- and you're not doing this with your hands you're doing it with your feet and you're putting it in your there's elements there and wind and every and everything and you're just putting that ball right where it needs to be I think just a great long ball pass is just phenomenal to watch and that
2: and you also get that air of anticipation when the ball is in the air much like throwing a, a bomb in football right to the, the everyone's on the edge of their seat exactly. until the ball comes to its final right yeah, right yeah. for
0: sure well very good Doug news. Flutie yeah, that's right.
2: <laughs> yes soccer's right. Doug Flutie's got nothing yeah. on a, a great soccer path <laughs> Doug Flutie probably could have been a pretty good soccer player he was yeah. a good basketball player wasn't he like five seven I mean he was so the fact that he could yeah. throw a
1: football that far was unbelievable <laughs> I, I mean
2: he wasn't he wasn't yeah. a big guy oh no, Miami but didn't think yeah. didn't think they could right I didn't think he could throw it that far all right. You both have successfully managed extra time today and uh, the ice cream truck is pulling up and you guys get to go pick whatever you want. So well done. Well done.
0: Thanks, Dave. I appreciate that. All right. Mm-hmm.
1: Hey, John, thanks. Thanks again for joining us. This was, this was fun. And I know you guys have a lot going on and it was, it was good to catch up and kind of put word of it out on, uh, on our podcast here.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show, Matt. I enjoyed it. Absolutely.
1: Thanks again to John Mooney for joining the podcast. New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast is produced by David Yaz and is a Siemens Media production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast.
0: Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.